2: Tonight, we are celebrating Labor Day and why right now might be the perfect time for you to ask for a little more at your job. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Hope everyone is having a very safe uh, and happy Labor Day holiday. You know, I mean, who can complain about long weekends, Oh, I'll
1: take three-day weekends every week. I love them. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Right. Right. And, uh, you know, I think Labor Day is definitely one of those holidays where, like, we do it. We have the three days. Everyone has a good time. You've got your picnics, your fireworks, whatever it is you're doing. But you don't really think about, like. But what is Labor Day? Like, why do we even have this time off?
1: You know, for me growing up, it was always, okay, I guess we're back to going to school the day after Labor Day, which... I don't know what happened, Amy. That's not the case a anymore. Long right?
2: history, oh, yeah. Now everyone's been in school for grand, weeks.
1: Grandkids in Phoenix—they've been back two, three weeks already. Oh, yeah, you know they yeah. start they start early out there. But no, this was some, this is a really neat holiday that started because I mean you do some historical research. Some of the some of the novels that were written at the time. It was not a fun time to work in no. in the early mid 1800s. I mean, twelve hour workdays. Um, okay, that's that's kind of rough. But seven days a week. Yes. Yeah yeah And this exactly. is not
2: someone who is right on Wall Street making tons of no. money, and that 's why they 're working these long hours. This is to eke out a very basic living uh, and we're talking about also like children as young as five or six were working in mills and factories i mean there were just no working conditions. And this is yep. when labor unions started to form. Uh, they appeared in the late 18th century uh, and there were kind of like small bands of people that kept growing bigger and becoming more and more organized. They organized strikes and rallies to protest these conditions. And uh, I mean, some of them, Steve, even got violent.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it got it got really crazy. I, you, in 1886, something called the the Haymarket Riots, a uh, um, bunch of people in Chicago wouldn't and uh, were killed over these things and you know in New York City uh in 1882 10,000 workers took unpaid time off to and which was a big deal i mean you know this is their own time they could all get fired um yeah. to march from city hall to union square that was the first labor day parade that, that's that's cool
2: Yes, yes. And so after you have this massive unrest and, of course, you know, uh, the government trying to repair ties uh, with these workers, uh, they passed, Congress passed an act making... Labor Day, a legal holiday. And this was June 28th of 1894. President Grover Cleveland signed it into law. Uh, and, and, and since that time, right, we've come a long way from working seven days a week, 12 hours a day, uh, you know, without a doubt. And in fact, Steve, I wonder if there has ever been a time quite like this in the history of the American worker, yeah. because there is such we've come sh- a long way. Well, there's such a job shortage yeah, right now yeah. that last Labor Day, if, if, if you can think back, right, we were in the middle of this pandemic and we were saying, hey, if you're working this Labor Day, you should be so grateful that you have a job. Yeah. In one year's time, Steve, we have gotten to the point where, hey, if you don't like that job, if you don't like that boss, if you don't like something about what you're doing, more and more people are saying, hey, take this job and shove it because I am super convicted that I can get another job. In a relatively short amount of time, without
1: anything else lined up, I, I mean, yeah. pe- people are just saying, "Nah, no, nah, thanks, but no thanks," you know. And and you know, we've seen it at our own company. You know, when you hire for positions, and you know, where where are all the people? Normally, we'd have twenty, thirty resumes at this point, and and you get one or two, and maybe they show up for an interview, maybe they don't. I I mean, it's you know, we, yeah, we've come a real long way, and as a result, I mean, in one year's time, to have a labor shortage where wages are up, a- average hourly wages are up. Four percent in in the past year. Leisure and hospitality, restaurants and hotels, wages are up 10 percent. I I mean, this is (laughs) incredible. Absolutely incredible. Heard
2: of. Yeah. Listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC. Happy Labor Day Uh, from a look back at the history of this holiday to what today's work conditions are and how you can change yours if you're not loving yours. Uh, there's about 30,000 open positions um, for travel nurses right now. Yeah. Uh, and Steve, I think this is just kind of a microcosm of what's happening in different industries. So you if you're a nurse, right. And, I, you know, if you don't have kids, if you have the ability oh, you're sitting to pretty. travel. Yeah, yeah. You can get a salary right now. Eight thousand bucks a week. A, a three week. month assignment. Yes. A
1: week. Yeah. And and, and I, I got to wonder, my, my son out in Phoenix, his, his wife. As a nurse and and I remember uh, we were talking at the early stages of the pandemic when there was no vaccines, and there was a lot of fear out there. She was being offered ten thousand dollars a week to go to New york city and you know with three young kids, young couple. That's a lot of money. I mean, you can get rid of a lot of debt and set yourself up pretty, pretty nicely at those kinds of wages. But no vaccine. You know, what if it hits me? How bad is this? You know, I might bring it back and infect the whole family. Thanks, but no thanks. You know, you got to wonder. You know, now there are vaccines, and and okay, it's not ten thousand a week. It's eight thousand a week. That's some pretty serious money. You know, yeah. to, to to go out there. But on the other side of the coin, if you're a nurse at a hospital that has a shortage and you're getting paid not $8,000 a week, Um, are you going to resent these people coming in?
2: Well, and think about it, like conditions in hospitals right now are nowhere close to normal still. No, I mean, no. these ICUs are overrun, right? You've got people in just these insane work conditions, working crazy hours, and then the person working next to you just waltzed in from name your place, yeah, you know, yeah. and they have got no history. And and, and I, I don't I don't say that lightly because it's, it's so important, I think, that we've got nurses, but I can see both sides of it. Sure. You know, capitalism, I'm going to go where the money is at the same time, I've worked at the University of cincinnati or wherever it is yep. for years and years and years and wait who's this person coming in making way more than i am yeah where's the uh, love you know, for me you know yeah. come on travel travel nurses used to yeah. make up about three or four percent of the overall nursing staff right it was something that a lot of people talked about like hey when i go get close to retirement i might do this now it's 10 percent of the yep. nursing workforce so yeah. you know times have changed And i think this is just one example of that
1: yeah, I I agree 100%. And it's not just in nursing. It, it's across the board. And, and, you know, if you're wondering, you know, am I being paid properly? You know, are these outsiders or, or these new hires? Can you imagine a new hire being paid more than you after you've been somewhere for, you know, five, eight, ten years? Go to, Glass, to go to Glassdoor.com because that, yeah. that's where you get the information that it used to be whispers. You know, hey, did right. you hear what so-and-so is making? You go to Glassdoor.com and they're going to tell you on, on that website, no, here's about what you should be expecting to be making in your job. And if you're not making that, you got a lot of leverage right now to go to your boss and say, hey, well, you know, what's going on here? I've been here forever and, you know, you're hiring these new people and this is the average pay and I'm not getting that much. We need to talk.
2: Yeah. If you're going to a place like Glassdoor.com, and I'm a huge fan, just make sure that you're as specific as possible, right? Because they could be throwing out a salary that you, you know, you're like, I should be making this much, yet it's uh, not exactly the same thing. It's a level above you and it's in New York City or in San Francisco, right? So be as specific as possible about, you know, where you live and what that job is. But do that research. And if you have that research and you feel like, okay, like, I know I'm not being paid what I should be paid, start quantifying. Here's what I've done over the past year that Mm -hmm. saved you money that's improved revenue that's brought the business together that has improved morale you know anything that you can list out like that and and give yourself some time too because i think it's easy to get kind of all worked up right you just did the glass door research and maybe you're steaming that you feel like you should be paid more calm down Give yourself a couple of days put together, right? A a good list of things that you've accomplished. And when you feel like, okay, I can do this without like really being frustrated about it. That's when you go to the boss and Hey, things are different. Maybe this is a a conversation via zoom, uh, you know, now that it wouldn't have been before, but as long as you're organized and non-emotional go to them. But I'm telling you research shows that if you are truly looking to make a major pay jump, it's probably not going to be at your current position. Yeah, You're yeah. probably going to have to go somewhere yeah, else, and it, you're going to have to update that resume.
1: It, it's a lot tougher to do it within your company versus going somewhere else. And, you know, what, what you know is, has got a certain amount of comfort with it. I'll tell you what, what else you have to worry about there is if, you, Amy, you sit down with your boss and say, you know, I've got legitimate reasons why I feel I'm underpaid. Be prepared for him to say, Oh, you're not happy here. Well, thanks for playing. You know, we got somebody else that can fill that position. So, yeah, you've got leverage, but. Be prepared to have your your bluff oh, oh, I called. I will
2: say, Steve, I think now more than ever, uh, the boss might be sympathetic to I your plight so. because yeah. they, they don't have a line. You know, they, there's not necessarily a line of resumes right. and people at the door knocking on there for your position. So I think as, as you're probably having this conversation, they're flipping through their mind of how long would it take to replace this person to get you trained, you know, to get yeah. them trained up. Uh, so now more than ever, right, this Labor Day, more than any other that I can remember you as the employee have some power. And I I saw some research from Bankrate recently that said, uh, you know, 50% plus, 55% of people who are employed right now will look for new jobs over the next year. I don't think I've ever seen a
1: number that high. No, no. It blew
2: me away. One of the reasons is for higher pay, but also uh, one of them is for, you know, a hybrid work schedule. You want more flexibility. You don't want to work either the same hours or you want to have some flexibility to work Mm -hmm. from home. So I think the entire workforce and how we go about working has changed because of this pandemic and i think some things about that will stick a lot longer.
1: Yeah and and that's why we're celebrating labor day, you know. This is yep. this is this is a good chance to just yeah, you're going to have your picnic and you know take an extra day off and all that, but you know, it's a good good time to reevaluate like a lot of people have over the past year what am I doing? Why am I knocking myself out? Um, uh, you know, do I want to keep going down this path in this career? Uh, or is it time for a change? And, and, you know, take the time off. It's, it's you know, not just to go and play, but, you know, be thankful for what you have in life, but also reevaluate and, and think about, is, is this where I want to be at this stage in my life? And, and if not, Why would I keep wanting to do the same thing day after day and expect a different outcome?
2: Yeah, so finish that beer, right? Polish off, enjoy that picnic. But then maybe when you finish, you might want to dust off that resume. Here's the Simply Money point. Employees have more leverage right now, but it's not going to stay that way forever. So if you're thinking about making a jump, you might want to do it soon. If you think your kids are spending too much time playing video games, well, there's a country that's cracking down on digital addiction in an interesting way. We're going to talk about it in three minutes. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Strovac. This student loan is, man, gaining a ton of popularity, but it could leave parents on the hook for hundreds of thousands of dollars. We've got that warning for you ahead at 643. Are your kids spending too much time playing? I I like say this. Are they spending too much time playing video games? And I'm laughing as I say it because I have an 11-year-old son. And the answer is, without a doubt, yes.
1: Does he play a lot?
2: Oh, my gosh, yes. Well, So I have now, it's one hour after school a day. And when he goes in there, we oh, set you're an alarm. Oh,
1: such a tough mom. We
2: set an alarm. <laughs> and, and I now I feel better because I can say to him, well, buddy, yeah. it's a good thing you don't live in China. So China, actually, in a way to clamp down on this, because I guess they think kids are spending too much time, uh, they're barring online gamers under the age of 18 from playing during the week. So you get an hour, and it's like, from 8 to 9 on Friday nights, yeah. these games are available online, and then they're shut down, and then an hour on Saturday and an hour on Friday. Three Saturday. hours a week. You're done.
1: And, and you know, when I first heard about this, I'm like, "How can you do that?" But then you think about it. Well, no, China controls the internet. China controls this. China sure. controls that. They they control everything that goes on in that in that country. And uh, well, if in they times said,
2: have changed, Steve. The most popular games are not ones that you like put like put into your gaming console, right? They yeah. run off of the internet. So. Yeah. You have no access to them. You've got no access to them.
1: I know. It's, yeah, <laughs> I remember Pong. I, 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 I had, we <laughs> I had a black, Mario Brothers. In, in, in college, we had a black and white TV that was a hand-me-down, you know, of a hand-me-down and whatever, and Pong. And, and that's where you, you had two versions. You flip the switch one side, and it was one paddle on one side, one paddle on the other. And if you wanted to get fancy, you can flip the switch and have two paddles on each side. Ooh. That was good. That was pre-Asteroids. That was pre-everything. And oh, you my were goodness.
2: super tech-savvy. And back we played for hour hours, <laughs> you know?
1: But now, you know, everything is online, and you can, you know, talk to the other gamers and everything else. And I, I get wh- where these kids are coming from. What, what's really interesting is, is that there is now there's competitive gaming you can actually get on ESPN and play video games for money well, and there are majors
2: right like uh, my son says this all the time like mom he'll say I'm, I'm doing homework and I'm like homework and he'll say yeah there are college majors and major college programs that offer um, like <laughs> gaming like how to market games how to develop yeah. games like yeah. because it's such a big thing and I'm like ah, I'm not falling for that it, but it is interesting because this whole new world is opening up but as a parent I will say that digital addiction uh, is real, Uh, and so I'm not sure about China's way of clamping down. We've just uh, got it under control here in our own house. So here's the question. Uh, You're retired. Should you get a job? And I think there's a lot of you that are saying, absolutely not. I am done with this. But then the question is, what does life look like when you are done? Steve, I'm sure you know people who have retired. Your dad, one of them, right? Retired, and then it wasn't the way you you, you
1: you can learn from people doing the right things and you can learn from people doing the yeah. wrong things and and yeah my, I've talked to to, I've talked about this before and and my dad was comfortable with his decision but you know he he lost his wife my my mom uh, at a young age and so here he is he's he's just sick of working 62 years old the issue with him was no outside hobbies Okay, yeah. and that that is really really important, and that's that's why when somebody's sitting down with me, yeah, we cover the on um, their financial plan. Can you afford to retire financially? And in a lot of cases, the answer eventually is yes. Might not be the age they wanted, but the answer is yes, financially. And they're a lot of times really surprised by where we head with the discussion after that because I'm not. Talking about money, I, I'll ask things like, uh, okay, so, you know, wh- what's your typical day? Oh, I've got so many things I've been meaning to get to. Okay, what about when you're done with that? What about when you're done with that? Where do your kids live? Do your kids live in the area? You know, you know do you like to travel? And, and why are you asking me these things? Because after two weeks or three weeks of getting all those projects done, what's your day look like? And if you're sitting home watching Oprah, you're not having a good retirement. That, yeah. that, that can get ugly real fast.
2: One of my favorite retirement stories is from a retired Procter & Gamble executive, Eric Redfield. Right? He had worked for the company for years, loved it, but had done his time and wanted to kind of get out of corporate America. Had a passion for people, for feeding yeah. people, for food. Opened up Camporosa, which is this amazing pizza place here in northern Kentucky. It's gotten all kinds of accolades across the state, across the country. But this is his retirement. His retirement him. is is serving people, and he's opened up. That. And I'm telling you, uh, there is a line around the corner almost every night to get into this place. And so that is his retirement. So sometimes it's just asking yourself, okay, maybe I don't want to do what I've been right. doing. But what is my passion? What fills me up? And once you figure that out, is there a take two? Is there a second chapter for you yeah. that might involve um, whether it be consulting on that thing or you know opening up a small online store on Etsy, whatever it is. Uh, there's something that you can do to fill your time and, and look at your passions, and not have what you're talking about yeah. sitting around watching Oprah all day. And, and, that does not work. For and anyone. it doesn't.
1: It doesn't have to be work. Remember, work is a four-letter word. Okay, <laughs> if it were <laughs> if it were fun, they would call it play. I'm going to play today. No, I go to work today. Um, but it, you know, there are all different ways you can keep busy. And for a lot of people, it's volunteer work. I, I mean, I I know a lot I, over the years. A lot of people that were working and I helped them retire are, you know, 10, 15 years into retirement. And I love hearing from them. I don't know how I ever fit work into the schedule. And they're busy, you know, Habitat for Humanity, working at their local church, whatever the case is. But they're, they're, they found an outlet of doing what they want to do. And the money side is not, for some people, not important at all. I'll, I'll give you an example of one of the most unusual. I, I know somebody, actually a really good friend who is an incredibly brilliant engineer. And for him, it was horse racing. He brought engineering. To the racehorse business, really? yeah, and I know that's right up your alley, growing up in, in Kentucky. But yeah. it, you know, nor, normally it's it's okay. You know, this guy's been in the industry for years. He can see it in the horse. Well, no, he's taking. Well, what's what's the? I don't know what the angles of engineering
2: are called. approach. Engineering to approach. Out, he yeah. spreadsheets
1: out everything. The angle of the horse's legs at full stride. Well, this wow. is twenty-one degrees, and anything over twenty degrees is good. I passed on that horse that was eighteen degrees. Okay, <laughs> so I mean it, it's it's interesting, and he just loves kind of it. He is he is all in on on this new hobby. Well, and, you have like to give me his fun. name
2: because I used to I, I honestly like bet on the names of horses, or sometimes okay. the colors of them. So uh, my super unscientific, unengineering mind uh, would probably appreciate <laughs> that kind of information. Uh, you know, but I think that the ultimate goal for all of us is getting to retirement, and work becomes an option, yeah. not an obligation. But more and more. Uh, there's people out there who are saying, you know what, I, I'm going to my retirement plan is to work, to continue working, and it doesn't always work out that way. You know, sometimes. And in Nathan, our, our founder Nathan Backrack has said this: There's four different kinds of sick. You get sick of the job, the boss gets sick of you, maybe you get sick or someone you love and need to care for gets sick, but you can't always control that. So when you get close to retirement and you start thinking, I'm just going to keep working, I'm going to keep working, make sure, though, that you can work out the money situation where if it's not an option anymore. Got to have a
1: plan B. Yes. Always.
2: Absolutely. Here's the Simply Money point. Make retirement a time where work is truly an option, not an obligation, and think through what life will look like once you get there uh, and, and how you can fill your days because it's not always just a financial decision. Decision. A lot of times it's an emotional decision as well. So is life insurance a good way to protect your family from future tax increases? We're going to get into that at 634. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money tonight. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. You know, $2 trillion here, $250 billion here. I don't know if you've noticed it, but our government, well, they've been spending some money and we're getting more and more calls uh, at Allworth from people who are concerned about where your taxes are going to go in the future. Here tonight to address that, Britt Riley, Certified Financial Planner at Allworth Financial. You know, Britt, are, are you getting calls like this?
3: Yeah, so there certainly is a, a good deal of concern about level of spending. Um, you know, I I think that uh, we all know that in terms of our own personal finances, it's not necessarily a good thing to continue spending way more than you're bringing in.
2: Sure, I mean this is uh, not and, a political so look at this, right? We're not calls. we're not saying that this money should or should not have been spent, but from a practical standpoint. As it's being spent, you know, as an individual, as a taxpayer, as an investor, what do we need to keep in mind? I mean, I, I've been talking to people who keep coming up to me and they're saying, okay, what, should, what can we do? We obviously can't control the spending. What can we control?
3: Well, so when we are in the situation where you feel a lack of control as an individual, I think the best way that you can um, address that, you know, emotionally is to make sure your own house is in order. Yeah. OK, so, you know, what we obviously the, the debt of our nation is a problem beyond any of our ability as an individual to solve. But what we can solve is, is our, are we personally, you know, following the spending habits of the government? You know, so we as individuals have to make sure that we're balancing our own individual budgets yeah. and you know, planning accordingly for our ability to pay for our future selves from money that we're setting aside today.
2: Yes. That's, I mean, that's a great point, right? What you can control and what you can't control. But there's also some things that could be changing as the result of this spending, right? So President Biden has some proposed tax hikes on the table, uh, and some of those might have to deal with estate planning. Now, is this something that the average person needs to know about, or is this something that's going to impact the uber-wealthy?
3: So far, all of the proposed increases in taxation are geared and aimed at individuals in high income brackets. So, you know, any of the tax bracket changes that have been proposed thus far uh, are geared towards individuals earning more than $400,000 a year. Um, the, the changes around Capital gains taxation the taxation on investment assets um, that are either sold or passed on when you when you die that is an area right now that they're starting to take a lot closer look at um, mm-hmm. The reality is is we 're still looking at tax changes that are not Aimed at the vast majority of Americans. So, you know, unless your incomes are greater than $400,000 or the asset that you're trying to pass on at your death has more than a million dollars worth of gain, that in today's rules, that would disappear as you die and pass it on to the next generation. Um, so, no, not specifically. Although it is starting to creep into areas that do affect how we discuss long-term estate planning, you know. So, uh, where I see the greatest impact that these currently have would be on small business owners right now, uh, in terms of our own client base, or small business owners that are looking at passing on either, you know, passing on their business or uh, a large sum of of you know capital appreciated property at their death. They're now going to have to plan on the possibility that that taxable gain does not get wiped out simply because they die.
2: And it's hard, I know, because these are just proposals. So figuring out, okay, what really is going to happen here and who it will truly affect, we're still very early in this game. But as this conversation is out there and people are talking about it, you will hear, and and I've heard people say this, more life insurance. Uh, Obviously, many times it's the person who's selling life insurance is the best way to handle these proposed tax increases. I want to get your take on that.
3: So there is a significant advantage that life insurance provides uh, when you're looking at taxes that are going to occur when you die. You know, a life insurance policy provides a death benefit that is income tax-free. And so an individual can use life insurance as a means of identifying their, you know, per year costs to pay for a future taxable event. Um, So as we start to see more events that generate a potential, you know, more more things that can generate a taxable event at your passing. Mm-hmm. That is an appropriate use of life insurance if you are one of the few individuals that gets affected by these changes. Okay, I think that's so, a great point yes, to, yes, to it make. Great, right? good way to if, pay for it efficiently.
2: But Brett, your point is, if you are earning below that four hundred thousand dollars line, where you likely won't be impacted by this, someone coming to you saying. Buying life insurance might help you in the situation. It's really not going to.
3: Not really, no. And for the vast majority of 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 people out there, really 95 plus percent of people, the the only real reason for life insurance or the need for life insurance really revolves around uh, what what hardship might your family experience if you die, you know, unexpectedly if you die before your life expectancy. So. Doesn't really change the rules for most of us, but again, where I see the people that we work with, uh, small business owners, uh, people with uh, you know, a high amount of appreciation in property, uh, they are individuals that could potentially be affected by these changes um, and should start to... You know, talk to their financial planner and their tax experts accordingly. Um, These these are issues that, as as you know them, you can start to address them on a year by year basis to potentially alleviate some of that future tax burden.
2: That's great perspective, Britt. You know, for people who are thinking about the life insurance or have been contemplating it for, you know, any reasons, you made the point. Listen, only do this to replace what would happen, what your family would need if you were gone and your income was no longer coming in. I was just with, um, some good friends over the weekend and, you know, we're in our forties now. So we've, we've gone from discussing like the best bar in town to how much life insurance we need now. And this is truly, (laughs) truly a conversation that we had. How do people understand how much you need in life insurance?
3: Well, you know, I'm going to say that we're going to re- recommend you refer back to your financial plan. Um, you know, through proper planning, we can actually quantify a, a need for coverage um, very accurately, and, and that is really the best place to start is going back bringing up this discussion with your financial planner and starting to take a look at you know what might be the impact of an untimely death or even a death at your normal life expectancy does that create a taxable problem for you
2: yes Great perspective tonight from Britt Riley um, at Allworth, a regular on this show. If you have concerns, right, as you read the headlines about where taxes are going to go in the future, about um, tax hikes and how they could impact you, great advice on needing to know what will truly end up impacting you and then what you can do to tackle that. You've been listening to Simply Money tonight here at 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Stroveck. Haven't checked your credits in a while tonight. While you want to get on that sooner rather than later, how much would you go into debt for your children's college education? I think there's a lot of you out there that would say, I would do anything for my kids. Hold up. Hold up on that (laughs) thought, right, Steve? Because there's a growing trend out there called plus loans, and we want to warn you about this.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you're going to be here in a couple of years, Amy. I, I mean, I know where your kids oh, yeah. are at, and yeah, it's it's getting more and more expensive for college. We went through this years ago with our, our sons when they went to school. A federal plus loan is just one of your additional loan options. There's a lot of them out there, and this is an unsubsidized federal education loan for graduate students and parents of dependent undergraduate students. So, in other words... The, you're not getting a break on interest. The, these interest rates can run 10%, 11 12%, and all you have to do is have a decent credit score, and you'll get pretty much as much as you want to borrow to pay for your kid's education. Um, that's all fine and dandy unless you just keep signing and signing and signing, and there's some bad stories out there because these plus loans are up about 40% since 2014.
2: I was telling you that, you know, when you're reading something sometimes or you hear the story and it just kind of makes you sick. Like, you think, this this is not going to have a good outcome, right? That is what has been happening time and time again with these PLUS loans. Parents, think about it. You're in your 50s. Your kids are now, uh, you know, going off to college. They have this college in their head that they've always wanted to go to. They have maxed out on all the f- federal student loans that they can get. Your option is to take out more loans in your name in your mid fifties. So you are able to send them to that school that they have always dreamed of, right? What you're not thinking about is how much that accrues. You got two kids, three kids, four kids, you're maxing out on these loans. And all of a sudden you're getting closer and closer to retirement. Steve, there are there are instances of people who have $200,000 yeah. worth of debt Hanging over their heads.
1: Here's the worst one I heard of. And, and you know, I'll cut slack to anybody for making, especially if you're an 18, 19, 20-year-old college kid and you signed some papers and really didn't think it through. But as a grown adult, and, and I read an article in the New York Times about this couple, you know, just um, working class, good union job, average people that wanted the best for their kids. I get all that. So between taking loans out for their two daughters, they racked up $220,000 of student loans through this Federal Plus Loan program. Well, okay, let me explain a word called forbearance because... Okay, you've got $220,000 in loans, and, oh, you're struggling, you lost your job, which happened in, in this particular case. You don't have to make payments. Matter of fact, just get back to us when, when you can start picking up payments again. Well, forbearance means that interest just accumulates. This is kind of mm-hmm. known as loan sharking on yes. the street, you know? And so this $220,000 federal plus loan is now over a half a million dollars with a $5,000 a month payment due. I mean this, so your this couple kids
2: have, right? This
1: couple had no option other than bankruptcy.
2: Yeah. So your kids have this amazing education, right? And I don't know, maybe they're like a sociology major or something not to pick on anything, but here you are waking up yeah. every day for the with with half a million dollars in debt hanging over your head, trying to figure out how you're going to dig out of this. Yeah. Only your kids they were in their 20s, so when they take out student loan debt, as much as they might struggle, they have a lot of time, right, yeah, in order yeah. to pay that off. But you don't have a lot of time before you're hoping to retire, and you just took retirement off the table entirely for oh, yourself. They,
1: they, they, they ruin financially. They ruin their lives because yes. even with the, and and you can plead. Uh, lower income and and get payments stretched out, which doesn't solve the problem. But in this example, this couple who took these loans out in their fifties, they figure they're going to be between eighty and eighty five when they get the debt paid off that they took out for their two kids to go to college. Their their life's over. They yeah. they you know they they have no other options at this point in time. And federal plus loans, they're they're not discharged in bankruptcy. You still yeah. have to pay them.
2: So if you're listening to us tonight and you're annoyed and you're like, Steve and Amy, you are both parents. Like, how can you judge parents for making this call for their kids? I get that. Here's the alternative. You have a conversation with your kids, and you do it early. You don't do it their senior year after they visited Notre Dame, or you name the college they've always dreamed of going to. You have it when they're in eighth grade or when they're a freshman, and you say, okay, if you get a full ride, 4.0, all the great things, great, you can go anywhere, but... If we're trying to figure out how to pay for this, and we don't have all of those full ride options, let's look at the colleges that we can afford that have the majors that you really can that you can use to get a good job when you're getting out of school.
1: Yeah, I can simplify it even more. If you're going to take out debt, especially if it's for your kids, um, have a plan on how you pay it down to zero, not how much the monthly payment is. This is true of cars, mortgages, anything. How you can get this debt paid off within a reasonable amount of time, very simple calculation. Anybody in my industry can do it for you. I'd be happy to do it. Um, Figure out how much it's going to take to pay it off by a certain date. And once you hit that wall, once you have borrowed that money that allows you to pay it off in that certain amount of time, don't borrow any more. Have a limit.
2: Yeah. It's, It's it, right? That is the way to handle this uh, without being able to lose sleep at night, right? Here's a Simply Money point. Do not let your kid's student debt haunt you, haunt your sleep, haunt your retirement. These credit errors could be costing you thousands of dollars, and you may not even know about them. So what you need to watch out for, that's ahead at 653. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money, I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sproback. Now more than ever. This may not be on your list, but we're telling you it should be. You need to be revisiting your credit report. Like I know Steve this sounds like you need to go to the dentist, right? Like (laughs) super fun, Amy, but there's a reason why this is really very important.
1: Yeah, like double the amount of credit reporting issues reported in the, the past year over 2019. Yes. I, I mean, there's major, major credit issues. And, and we're finding most of them, Amy, it, with people that have student loans that were forgiven or forbeared, where where they didn't have to make payments uh, because of federal legislation. And, and yet these non-required payments are showing up as missed payments on credit reports and, in some cases, costing these kids 100, 200 points on their credit score.
2: Yeah. Well, when you don't check your credit report, here's what you are doing. You are saying, I have 100 percent trust in all of the people in this chain of command (laughs) that not a single one of you have made an error whatsoever. So when Congress makes this declaration, I'm 100 percent confident that the person at the student loan company has contacted everyone that would be, need to be contacted about this, including the lender, including the you know the credit report people, and no one will find an issue with this. Okay, what are the odds?
1: Really? Yeah, what are the odds? And, and yes. I, fa- I found this out personally. I, I mean, I'm Stephen M. Sprovac, my dad, Stephen M. Sprovac. So when I pulled a credit report, and this, this was after years and years of not paying attention, but because of our show, I, I said, yeah, let me take a look at this. His information was on mine. I mean, apparently, <laughs> apparently, Dad didn't pay a Sears card as often oh, as he should have, you know. Yeah. So, and it showed up on my report. His address showed up as my previous address, which wasn't the case, you know. So, these are things that um, once a year, I think it's a real good, uh, real good advice. Check your four hundred and one k. Check your credit report, and if there are any mistakes, address it. It's not that big a deal. Yeah, you have to take some time, but if that, if fixing that credit reporting issue saves you half a percent on your next loan or your next mortgage you might have saved yourself hundreds if not thousands of dollars a year by taking 15-20 minutes to fix it
2: let's let's dig into what you need to be watching out for Loans that you have repaid, but they still appear as unpaid. Debt's maybe that were incorrectly reported as being in collection, but they never went to collection. Uh, Some kind of incorrect personal information. You're talking about you had your dad's address on there, right? Wrong address on there could be a thing. Mixed files. Some of your information is right on there. Some of it is obviously from someone else's account. How could this happen? It happened with my son just a few years ago. I got an insane medical bill. I think it was for like $97,000 oh, wow. for my son uh, from somewhere in, in California. And so I, I called the company and said, uh, listen, I can tell you that my whatever, you know, nine, 10-year-old at the time hasn't been to California in the past year. So this this can't be legit. As they looked at it, they they compared my information, my you know, number my health care, my health insurance number with someone else's, it was one digit off. And that's how that mistake was made. And if I hadn't caught it, and of course you're going to catch probably a $97,000 bill you weren't, but what if it was less? What if it was $900? What if the address was wrong and it had gone to the wrong person and it shows up as unpaid? Lots of issues here that could happen, which is why this is something you don't have to check it every week, but maybe quarterly, twice a year
1: yeah and, and just a little you know watch out for watch out for credit repair agencies. you can't scrub negative but current data from your credit report, even though they promise to do that for you know not not so small of a fee. Consumer Financial Protection Bureau says nobody can do that.
2: There are always going to be people out there looking to take advantage of you when you are struggling to figure something out. And so if you have bad credit, they are going to be looking at, hey, we can help you, you know, scrub this all. And in two months time, you're going to be looking at an 800 credit score. If it sounds too good to be true, it is always, always too good to be true. Never forget that. You've been listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC, the talk station.